Listen, Captain, why don't you stop trifling with life and death? I'm a playwright, you know, I, I know all about this sort of tragedy and, and comedy and fantasy and everything. I got 52 successful scenarios to my credit, added to which my father's a policeman. Listen, you look like a music lover to me. Why don't you let, well, why don't you let me play you a little thing I, I wrote last week? Nice sort of opening, that, eh? We could dream up some lyrics, maybe. You and I dream them up together. You know, I'll go share the profits. I think I'll make the hit parade. Um, the moon was blue, and so were you and I tonight. She's mine, to, uh, yours. She's, she's yours tonight. And um, the moon is... Hey everybody, Jesse here. There's a couple things to touch on before we get underway with the show today. First is the movie we're talking about is Lolita, or rather both film versions of Lolita. And because of the nature of that story, we talk about issues of consent, child exploitation, and rape, which are unavoidable topics when you're talking about a story like Lolita. So if that's something that you would find triggering or upsetting, I want to give you an opportunity to skip over this episode. Uh, and no sweat, we'll see you next time. The other is that for this episode, I was working with a real rough recording. Not everything was in place for a great three-person recording setup. So what you hear isn't up to my exact standards in terms of sound quality, and I apologize in advance for that. That's a part of why this episode's coming out a couple days later than we had wanted it to. Uh, there was a lot of cleanup to do to get this to the form you hear it in. It was really just one mic, three people, a small room, and a couple bottles of wine, and that was what we came up with. But I hope you find it as interesting uh, and enjoyable as it was to record, because with the movie like this, of course, there's a lot to talk about. So, so thanks for listening. We appreciate it. She was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. In my arms, she was always Lolita. Hi, this is In the Cut, and I'm Jesse. I am joined today by my co-hosts, Aaron. Hi. Hi. And Whitney. Hello. Hello. We're going to be talking about two films, 1962, 1997. Lolita. Z. Z. I'm not quite sure how to go, what the right way into this movie is, and... Well, which movie? I mean, yeah, right. yeah. start older, new. Well, I mean, did either of you um, like either of the movies? Well, I had a very different experience with the two different movies. Mm -hmm. I um, I watched the older one. I it had been a while since I'd seen a movie that wasn't made in the last twenty, thirty ish years, and mm -hmm. so it took me a moment to kind of recalibrate to the film style of the time a little yeah. bit. It, it was very, and I think maybe it, I mean it, it's a hard film to gauge. You know, there is a lot of subversiveness and satire of, you know, that I just cannot pick up on being, mm. in that it, it really is of its time. I mean, they were both very dated films. Yeah. I think yeah. That, um, that's kind of a learned thing, is watching movies from that area, era and earlier. Like, it, the acting is completely different. It's just a completely different style. You know what I mean? And I, I prefer, not prefer, but I really like a lot of movies from that time, so I feel like 
you just have to kind of be like, okay, <laughs> it's not going to be that sort of all in acting that I'm used to. It's, you know, I, I, it's hard to describe. But. It comes across to me as more theatrical and like oh, just yeah. coming from the stage yeah. and vaudevillian in, yeah, in a good. way. And before acting kind of brought started bringing a lot of the restraint that you can get away with on film that you can't get away with on stage yeah. I, I can watch it uh, you know a total totally theatrical performance I mean I think what got what gets me more about things from the era are the real differences in in editing and pacing and I mean all those slow fades that mean a totally different thing than what a slow fade in a film would mean now. Yeah, real, real interesting things in terms of pacing. Both these movies were over two hours, right? Yeah, two and a half. Both about two and a half. Yeah, Yeah, one went by a lot faster. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, and that and uh, those two aspects get to kind of the point of what I was thinking when you ask how I like or how we liked the movie. Uh, And it's that I went into the 1962 Kubrick one, and in the first 10, 15 minutes, I I was thinking, I might not like this movie. <laughs> I might not this. I, this might not do it for me you at did. all. The opening scene didn't capture something for you, because I, I love the. I mean that, I liked that opening scene is one of my favorite things. I think. Ever. Well, I didn't get a chance to watch it a second time, and I typically really like to watch a movie a second time before diving into it because I can watch it with a different set of eyes. I don't know the the opening was unsuccessful at being one type of thing and very successful at being a different type of thing and I kind of wasn't sure where I was with it. Anyways, let me get back to what I was starting to say, which is that I watched the older movie and, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, I thought this may be something that I just don't get anything out of or is not for me or is a cla- one of many classics that are that I'm, don't engage me in for one reason or another. And then by the end, I was really sold on it. And the newer one... I started watching and I thought, oh my god, I might like this one a lot better. This one mm-hmm. actually speak to me a lot more for various reasons. You know, one of which, of course, it being made in the decade <laughs> where I was coming to learn movies, and it, and it shares a lot of the same film vocabulary with films that I just am, you know have been immersed in my entire life and things. And it's a pretty competently made movie, at least at the beginning. <laughs> and there are touches that I thought were really nice, and aspects that I thought it brought that the. 1962 one didn't and then by the end it was just so totally the opposite by the end i was just like i mean i really don't like to talk over a movie the first time i watch it but i was like laughing and talking over some of the fucking cockamamie shit that was going on in the you know last middle to last yeah it was i i I watched it about three hours ago Mm -hmm. and boy it felt like it was all day it was uh yeah and yeah, I guess that it was kind of the reverse. They did end on that scene. So, um, okay. Well, I'm an outlier. I the 1997 one I saw first, and I saw that, and then proceeded to watch the Kubrick one because I Kubrick one because I was interested in the difference, and that was all probably just out of high school. So hmm. It's been like a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I think I ran into the 1997 one on like Showtime or something, which I think. Now that I've read about its release and like how hard, problematic that was for them to get released, right. I think like Showtime might have actually been like anyway. So I think I saw pieces of it on television or whatever. So when we watched it last night, that was I think like my second and a half or third time seeing the '97, and when we watched '62, that was my second time in like what 20 years or mm-hmm. something. I think that both have things to recommend them, but I, uh, yeah, there's some problematic stuff, and I don't know how you guys want to, not probably just go into the stuff about the 97 one that I really find problematic right now, but I think the thing for me is Dominic Swain in the 97 movie and Jeremy Irons. Like, I 
find their performances, particularly hers, who was filming that when she was 15 years old, to be really phenomenal. Um, and that does a lot to carry the movie for me. Mm-hmm. I think that I have no problem whatsoever with Jeremy Irons' performance. Um, I, I loved it as a performance. I thought it was... I didn't like what they did with the character. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's... You've read the book. Um, you have not read the book. Yes, the people can see you pointing, but Whitney has yeah. it, Jesse has it. Twice, <laughs> um, actually. But I, I haven't for, you know, ten years or so, but it, right. a lot of it did come back, and, you know, I feel like the recent version, I, I don't know, that it, how, how they treated that character felt like <laughs> that um, much more sympathetically than, I mean, I'm getting into... I guess that's a whole conversation, but right. well, we can start a whole is, conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, we don't sure, have to, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I guess they did get into some more of his backstory, but I, I don't. I felt like he was always in in the recent version treated as someone who was kind of everything was out of his control. There was a lot of circumstance, and maybe she was responsible for a lot of what was going on. And in the book, he's really planning to rape her. He's explicitly going into the situation saying, I'm... Oh, yeah. I mean, there's sections in the book where he talks about, like, how he's planning to scare her into staying. And and it's really, you know, manipulative, awful stuff. Like, you know, you will be a ward of the state. And, like, w- do you want to mm-hmm. go without your comics and stuff? You're going to have to go live in this horrible orphanage or whatever. You know, like, really nasty stuff that he's, like, think- think- thinking he's going to say to her to, like put the fear into her that, you know, it's better here with me. Like, really nasty, like, monstrous stuff. Yeah, and, and in that version, it's kind of, it's like, it's treated as a little romantic. And I it's like, it's, it's like... it's very a, romantic and it's very disgusting to um, me. Well, I think it's treated ro- uh, romantically in both. I think in the... Well, okay. In, in the Kubrick version, I feel like... I mean, and, and this is where I, like, talk about what Kubrick does with movies and just sound like an idiot if anyone <laughs> out there actually knows Kubrick. And, um, you know, I, th- I think his version is heavily satirical and dark and funny in a way that maybe doesn't still come across as well as it did. But I think I never felt like the character Humbert Humbert right. um, certainly did lose control in a crazy paranoiac way but there was never a sense of you know it's just the fates pushing him along and this is it was never a classic tragedy i I felt like he was portrayed as architect of his own demise no no a sociopath i I, I feel like that but i mean i think architect of his own demise is a classical tragedy i think that's sure Sure. Uh, live flowers win prizes around Well, 
right now. I mean, it would be silly for you to go to a hotel, monsieur. Well, that's my bags in the taxi. <laughs> yeah, a very persuasive salesman, Mrs. Thank Davis. you. What was the decisive factor? Uh, my garden? I think it was your cherry pies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the book, Humbert, is monstrous and plotting and very much creating the situation, right? Mm-hmm. But I think... I think that he was written to be a tragic hero, right? Not not, not a hero, um, but like, a, I mean, that's, I don't think Nabokov would have said he was a hero, mm-hmm. right? But like kind of a tragic... No, Nabokov said he was a monster. <laughs> like a tragic figure who is kind of pulled by these fates or whatever. But in all three instances, the story is told through his perspective. So it's... <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, within the first 10 minutes of either movie, if you haven't figured out that he's going to be a reliable narrator, then you're a horrible person because within 10 minutes of both movies, he's, you know, ogling a 14-year-old or whatever. But so, I don't know. I've been struggling with that while I've been thinking about today where I'm just like, he does come off as tragic, but that's because we're seeing it through his eyes, right? And like That was, I mean, a, a huge thing... In, in the recent movie for me is I didn't feel like he came off as an unreliable narrator. And that's, in the book, yeah, like you said, he does feel like a tragic hero, but he feels like he's describing himself as a tragic hero and right. that the actual story is probably entirely different than how he's describing it. I mean, that's a perfect point is that in the new one, I could probably, I'm probably just bringing that with me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I can see, you know, there's pieces and they hinted at it or whatever, which is the, that's the book, that's 62, that's 97 or whatever, where they hint at things that Lolita's doing to undermine this or to have some independence or, you know what I mean? In 97, I think they're much more subtle, except for when she's literally beating him, I guess. <laughs> that doesn't happen in 62, but the 62 film. But yeah, I mean, you can look for that. So I, it's impossible for me to separate those other two materials from that one, which is maybe why I still see it as him seeming unreliable. Yeah, and he is, there's a lot more actual first person narration in the yeah. new one, so that you That's do get true. more of a sense that it is his from yeah. perspective. But it's, yeah. it, I don't know, it's hard to do an unreliable narrator when you are making a movie. I mean, I don't know. Well, I think you have to use a different vocabulary when you're making a movie if you're trying to make an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. And what I was going to chime in to say is that I didn't, I mean, having never read the book myself, I, I and maybe t- completely missing the boat, which I'm completely willing to admit I, I may have, especially on the older one, but I never even ha- crossed my mind that he was an unreliable narrator or that the events being played out in the story weren't as they play out. I mean, obviously his reactions to them are really sociopathic and his impulses are really, you know, problematic and that he, you get a different sense when you're being told a story by a person in person or by mm-hmm. f- through a book than you do when you are seeing it play out on the screen. And when you try and make an unreliable narrator in a movie, a lot of times to bring the audience along with you, you have to go so far as to re-show earlier scenes from a different perspective to actually establish that, you know, you can't, don't yeah. believe what you saw earlier. Well, okay, so I picked that phrase, but maybe help me if I'm, if I'm using it incorrectly, because, I mean, I think that he's unreliable because in no planet, you know, in no planet in the universe should anything that's happening be okay. Right. And he's describing it as okay, you know what I mean? But I don't know that he's, like, per- portrayed as a stereotypical, like, unreliable narrator. Like, I can't believe what he's saying, because all those things did happen between them. Or, but in the book, you kind of maybe that's. You, I mean, at least that's for me. And and I think you probably read the book much more recently than I have. And I may be an unreliable narrator. <laughs> on, but I think there is a sense in the book that maybe things didn't actually play out 
in, in the way that he's describing them. Well, the book is... I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead, please. The book is framed as a basically a confessional piece of him on mm-hmm. after the events right. of the story of all Which I think Bullet. you don't get till the end of the book. Is that right? The- it starts with a letter um, by a PhD who's telling you a little bit about what you're about to read, and it tells you that he's dead and that uh, Dolly's dead, and although they call her Mrs. Schiller in the beginning. Do you remember that? It's like by J. I Ray Jr. PhD or whatever. And then it, I think it jumps right into him narr- like writing right. memoirs from prison. He died. I mean, I think he died before he went to prison. Is, which I mean, I love. I mean, I, I thought that was a, the epilogue in in the Kubrick version. <laughs> Here's a great difference between the movies. Like I thought that was. I mean, I laughed out loud at the epilogue, which was basically the movie ends and it's like, and then he went. Then he was arrested and then he, he died, died and he's <laughs> fucked at the end. Like and it was literally like five seconds. They yeah. just like just yeah. popped it up. Then he, and I, I feel like that was a real intentional, real funny moment. Right. And then in the new one, they did the exact same thing and played it real straight real and like had a right. d- different font and a, like mm-hmm. had the tragic music and it was like, I want to not get it. I want to jump back for just a second before we go into that because I think that's a really like that's a way into the way that the Kubrick one is a farce and the more modern one is not. Mm-hmm. But just to go back is is that. I think in framing it as a confessional thing, what how I took that to frame it as in him as an unreliable narrator isn't to so much to say like these aren't events that actually took place in the way he describes and the way they're shown in the movie or how they describe, but that they're being run through his the filter of his memory. Right. And I think that he, you know, has fetishized this relationship and this child so much that he's remembering maybe really specific things. And it's hard to make that work in a movie because a movie. I mean, not that a book isn't forced to just pick and choose which scenes and which conversations to surface, but I think a movie, when it's trying to have a heavy editorial hand in in the storytelling, kind of has to clue you in more that that's what it's doing. Whereas in a book, you can kind of take that as read when you're reading it in the voice of the character who's character in the book. So maybe not like yeah, maybe just like the rose tinted glasses thing. That's a good way to put it. I thought of that in the scene. I mean, it's all rape, but the one where he gets kind of more forceful with her in the 1970, 1997 movie. Oh, it's after he brings her a bag of other men's dicks, as yes. you said. That, um, was where I, <laughs> that was where I started to go off the rails of this movie a little bit. When she still sends him out for a bag of bananas and he comes back with the heads of the bananas poking out of the paper bag. <laughs> Oh boy! There was a lot of a, a lot of the symbolism. Yeah. A, a lot of there was a lot of her sucking on things that were a penis shape to show us that sexuality was involved. Master at the Beersley Prep School, the older lady was like, "You have to talk to your daughter about sexuality," you know. And he's choking on his biscuit because it's mm-hmm. so hilarious or whatever. And then she literally she does like a hand job motion. Yeah. <laughs> you got to take it in hand, you know. And then biscuit flies out of his mouth or whatever. I'm like, really? I mean, please. Right. Anyway, but the scene with the bag of dicks, he you know pushes her down on the bed, and you know, yeah, it's awful. Um, right. And she starts laughing, like, halfway through it or whatever. And, like, in my mind, I was like, see, that's that's the unreliable narrator part. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that she started laughing. Mm-hmm. He, like, I think he probably remembers her, started la- like, her starting to laugh as though, like, you stupid idiot, you're such a fool, look at what I'm doing to you. You know what I mean? But 
or if she was laughing, it wouldn't have, it could have been nervous laughter, it could have been, you know, I mean, any sort of thing, but the way that it was portrayed, and just to go back to the bag of dicks, I didn't, I mean, obviously they're a bag of dicks, but like, <laughs> or bananas, but obviously I, they're <laughs> when they do a shot of her, like, pan up from the floor, or whatever, in her feet, and she's wearing, like, an oversized men's shirt, and nothing, or whatever, and she's holding the bag of bananas, and he looks at her, and then it looks, goes back to Jeremy Irons, and he looks at her, and he's so sad and like you immediately started laughing over like bag of dicks whereas i had been thinking like monkey Mm. like like Mm -hmm. she's waving bananas at you you monkey Mm -hmm. um anyway i don't know if it's here or there but that's another thing where it's like through his eye you know what i mean through his eyes it's a bag of dicks and i'm monkey and i can't you know all of this is that without of my control and Mm -hmm. you know um and and that was the second um, time that bananas had been a stand-in for penises. Right. In, uh, I mean, the reason I couldn't take it wasn't because it's like he just brought home a bag of other men's dicks in a moment where she was like obviously <laughs> like starting to clue him in to her, you know, unfaithfulness to him or whatever. But because we had already had like 10 straight yeah. minutes of her putting a banana into and out of her mouth over and over again in a way that no one eats a banana, even if they're pretending to give oral sex to the banana, they wouldn't do it that fucking lavishly. Maybe she got her two front teeth marks scratched at the top so of Which just like, works why? against everything that the scene should be trying to do. <laughs> she, did, like, she goes through she goes through a whole bunch, like a whole bunch of, like a literal bunch of bananas, and none of them are eaten at the end. They all just have tooth marks and dripping with saliva by the end, sitting in the garbage can of a hotel room. It's a miracle she's alive at all without her ability to eat food. Yeah. I, 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 every sexualized image, and not even getting into the idea that. They were really piling on sexualized images on... What, what, what was her age supposed to be in that one? Uh, I think they're both supposed to be 14 in both movies. I think in the book, okay. Lolita's 12. But in a way that's pretty much aimed at the audience getting into it, right? That's... Right, but I, this... Well, that's a big oh, question, man. I think. I guess yeah. that's what it is. This, and maybe that's it. Like, this book and these From this the story has confused me forever. Like... <laughs> It has confused me since the moment that I read it and to the point where I... Do I need it to be saying a thing? I don't know. But, like, what is it trying to say? I, you right. know, and, and I'm not... It really... It flummoxes me. Like, it really does. Um, I mean, I think the book wasn't supposed to be sexy and wasn't trying to be sexy and people no, were... No, no, I don't think that at all. Very yeah. much they bought missed... it thinking it would be a sexy book because mm-hmm. kind of even the cliche is, you know, getting Lolita because it's that sexy sex book you're going to read and it's like, no, that's... Uh, yeah. But but the new one, it felt like it was kind of just being like treating and filming things as just a, you know, just a romance. And the sex parts were supposed to be titillating. Yeah, Yeah, that's difficult. That's difficult. What do you think about that? I took some notes. That's like my main note is like... This idea of nymphettes and this idea of Lolita as precocious, which just makes me want to puke and we can talk about later. But, like, what do you... What's your take on that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's... Because it's... I think one of the reasons I had a hard time getting a read on either movie was because it was hard to tell how much it was implicating him and how much it was implicating her in each case. And 
obviously the structure of the story is meant to be implicate him as someone who would implicate her when it's not really her right. uh, uh, driving this you know these events at all um, but rather being victimized you know by them as a child with no other social structure to rely on or you know caregiver to fall back on so it was difficult I, I think that it, where I get immediately lost is I, I can understand the book's premise and approach and then to bring in the author of the book to write the screenplay for the Kubrick one, which seems like a total, like, farcical take on the theme of the book in a way. He also, I mean, he didn't, that's, I, he got the credit for that script, but I don't think he wrote that script. Okay. Oh, he did. He wrote a 400-page script, actually. Yeah, but I think and what... He cut it down about, to about 20% of what he wrote, and then Kubrick and his partner tooled it, but they yeah, gave right. him sole credit. Because you can... You can read the the script he wrote now, yeah, you put like it out, I think, right? yeah. um, which I haven't done, but um, it's, like Lolita, it's very it's a very different it. script than what ended up being on screen. Right, and so what? So I get lost at what purpose Kubrick is trying to achieve with taking that approach to that type of material, except that to laugh at the absurdity of it in the same way. Like I mean, the 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 best I could under, the best I understood some of these completely weird scenes, like the bathtub scene, or um, you know, some of these other scenes that just seem from outer space, kind of like not like a real thing, a real person that I can understand or identify with would do in any circumstances. Is to compare similar scenes in movies like Strange Love, Doctor Strange Love, and just see how he how delightfully he just like wants to make the whole thing into a black comedy and people are all crazy and nobody does anything that makes any sense and it's all a horrible joke. Right, which is, I mean, the book was a black comedy. Okay. The book was not, you know, Nabokov is a funny guy. It's, you know, it's all puns, it's all... Right. And yeah, it's it's very satirical, very... Mm -hmm. You know, I think the movie, the Kubrick movie, got the tone of the book down pretty well. Be great for two normal guys like us to get together and talk about world events, you know, in a normal sort of way. Well, there's nothing I would like better than that, but I, I don't have much time. Oh, it's a pity because uh, may I say one other thing to you? It's really on my mind. I've been thinking about it quite a lot. I noticed when you was checking in, you had a lovely, pretty little girl with you. She was really lovely. I, as a matter of fact, she wasn't so little. Come to think of it, she was a fairly tall little. Well, I mean, taller than little. You know what I mean? But uh, she was really lovely. I wish I had a lovely, pretty tall, lovely little girl like that. I mean, well, that would, that's you know, my daughter. Your daughter, gee, isn't it great to have a lovely, tall, pretty, little, small daughter like that? It's really wonderful. I don't have any children or boys or little, tall girls or anything. I, I'm not even... Are you married? Yes, I'm expecting my wife perhaps to come <laughs> here. May I say something? I, I thought she was looking a little uneasy at the desk there, and I, maybe I was thinking that you want to get away from your wife for a little while. I don't blame you. <laughs> if I was married, I'd take every opportunity to get away from my wife. <laughs> yes. No, that was not it at all. Um... That's good. I mean, that's one of the things I wrote down was like, it would, like I said before we took a break, was like I was uneasy with the humor in the book. <laughs> I'm uneasy with the humor in the films. I'm also uneasy with the fact that sometimes I identify with Humbert. Like sometimes I do feel sympathetic towards him, and I'm not sure ah, if that's how I want to be feeling, you know what I mean? But he's written in such a way that, I mean, hopefully it's 10% of the time you feel... A feeling for him, maybe not. You sure, know, but. and I think that was. I mean, certainly the intent in the book. I don't know. I mean, like with Kubrick, there's this whole thing where he has this 
layer of distance between the audience and the characters in a way that kind of no other director can I mean it's his his films are cold and even when they're like I, I definitely thought about you know Eyes Wide Shut a lot during this which is another one that is actually a really funny movie but hmm. but funny and cold at the same time well I, I, I think I think that you should feel sympathetic towards him at least some of the time a because He's the movies, both movies and I assume the book too, are written in such a way that you, you know, can find that and that, that that's part of experiencing the story and understanding the duality and stuff. But also just because I mean, even people who do the most re- know, right? repellent things <laughs> are human, being. human yeah. beings and you know come from places. And I think that I think that another really marked distinction between the two films is one of them tells a backstory of him losing his childhood love in a way that he hangs his adult obsession with, you know, sexuality of children on. And the other entirely omits that and doesn't even, doesn't call back to it or reference it in any way. And it just brings him in as who he is and that's who he is and that's all you get. There's no yeah. lead up to it. And of course, right. there's no And also never, in, the, in, in not giving his backstory, doesn't necessarily treat him as a pedophile. In, or at least up until, you know, things unfold, that maybe that this is, it's just this circumstance that's bringing oh, whatever out. And, like, it's just and, and this, it, this girl this time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's not, I mean, I think in the book he had, like, groomed other girls. There so was, in the book, that backstory that happens in 97, it, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. in the book with Annabelle Lee or whatever, mm-hmm. and they were, he was maybe her age or a couple years older or whatever, so they're both kids, and she does die of typhus, and... That is a thing. And then he goes somewhere and marries a woman who I was thinking about this day. I'm like, maybe I needed to reread those sections. But I think she wasn't. Ad- I mean, she was an adult. No, she was. Right. Like she left her husband for him or whatever. But then I don't. I don't like. I don't remember. It's, but there was definitely like before Lolita. I mean, I guess, and, and that's a thing. Is oh yeah Lolita yeah no you're right not, you're right. He had dalliances with yes. Or not not even dalliances, but he had kind of plans to rape. Underage girls. Okay, um, I can't remember. Or I'm sure to, you're right. Yeah. Like there was, you know, he, like when he was in Europe. Is that why was, his wife in the book is like Valeria or something, right? Is that why she ends up I don't, leaving? It's so, yeah. I, I got so, so vague memories. But there is like, you come into the meat of the story knowing that he's, that he is, sure. okay. he is a pedophile and he is aware and he is acting on these things in a cynical way it's not he's not a victim of circumstance it's not yeah and i think the kubrick film entirely puts makes him a victim of circumstance don't you i mean does the kubrick film give you give you as a total standalone piece does it give you any impression that he had any of these urges before entering that house it, it doesn't give you that but i feel like in how his character is presented it does treat him as as at least through the first half of the film when he's making the decisions as being in control and doing what he wants to do. It, at least con- contrasting it to the more recent film where mm-hmm. he's just got weird confused eyebrows whenever he's having feelings. and So in, in a way that makes him more clearly to the audience sociopathic in the Kubrick film than in the later one? Is that, I, is that what you're yeah, getting at? Yeah, okay. I, or at least that was my read on it. Um, sure. 
I think cold cold is a really good way to put it. The Humbert of Kubrick is much colder than mm -hmm. Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Uh, and the film is much colder. The film never, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, I, th I think we were talking earlier and just how, you know, the sexuality is portrayed and, you know, Kubrick's camera is, is, is holding back. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, the camera of, I wish I could remember the other director's oh, name. I looked at that. Uh, Adrian Lyon, L-Y-N-E. Is getting in there. It's do, it's doing yeah. sex sex things, right. sex camera things. Oh, it's not only doing sex camera things, which it certainly, certainly is, but also, like, you're right, like, just, you know, like, really close-ups on Jeremy Irons' face when he has a reaction to, like, seeing Lil walk by or something, you know? Or even mm -hmm. that first scene when he sees her, it does, like, a nice, like, zoom, you know, zoom in, or I think, to, like, mm -hmm. his face or whatever, and he's such a great emotive actor that... It, you know, in another film, like, you would just be like, oh, man, love at first sight, you know, right. which, of mm -hmm. course, is what you're supposed to think here, which sure. is awful. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like right. if you took it out of this context, you'd be like, oh, that guy, right? Right. That guy. <laughs> like, you know, and there's other parts where he's, like, sitting in his office and she'll, like, run by. Right. You know, and it's just like he has a close <laughs> face. Or you just, you know, and that's, right. that's very, different, very different. Yeah, but, I mean, Kubrick can do a non-empathetic filming in a way that's still amazing in... Yeah, a camera that does not get into the story at all. That's you know a totally omniscient observer in a way, or that's totally you know the story still has all the emotion of the story. The acting still has all the emotion of the acting, but the point of view is refusing to engage. And I think Lolita was probably where that came from. I mean, that was I don't know what he do. Paths of Glory was maybe before that. Yeah, and right, and and in the later film, the camera is like very. It's just is lavicious the right word? Yeah. I mean, the well, ca it's, the it's camera like, is like like dirty. The camera is yeah. like is yeah. like running over her body constantly and yeah. slow, and in an incredibly like boring and tiresome right. way. <laughs> Which is, I mean, you could definitely give that the reading where that's intentional and it's kind of trying to indict you as the viewer is or I could or you could just say that this guy just knows how to film right romance movies in the way that everyone else does and he's treating this movie in that way right well here's a thought one of the things I looked up today on the internet was um, the original New York Times book review of Lolita and just from what you said, it reminded me that there was a little paragraph in there, maybe like five sentences, that it was like, we're all, they didn't say this, it was well written, but it was like, kind of like, we're all guilty, right? Mm -hmm. We're all enjoying kind of this sort of lasciviousness mm -hmm. and kind of these pieces of it or whatever, right? So while we're indicting Humbert, we should be mm -hmm. indicting ourselves as well. So it very well, it could be intentional. I mean, we're talking about a person who's made movies that aren't, you know, pieces of shit lifetime movies or whatever not sure. that there's anything wrong with that but it didn't i mean that's an interesting thought to me that it's not necessarily because i had trouble with it right there's a scene when she's leaving for camp sees humbert in the window runs back up right and, he's, and jumps onto him and then it goes into a slow-mo right. for her legs wrapping around him and her butt jiggling and she's in those short shorts or whatever right. and it's like okay hi Ugh. she's like 14 years old camera people and writers or whatever but I think maybe, I don't know. I mean, most things generally are intentional in these sorts of mediums, right? And so, like, if we if we have to stop for a minute and think about how we're feeling about that moment or, like, what we're implicit in in that mm -hmm. moment, which mm -hmm. I certainly did. Yeah, it, it does feel like it was 
I'm going to give the director a certain amount of credit and think that a lot of those scenes were supposed to make you uncomfortable, but maybe they were supposed to make you uncomfortable because it's they gave you a boner. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of like just, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other um, or whatever. I mean, they could, they very certainly could be over sexualizing a young girl to get people interested, and they very certainly could be trying yeah. to make a comment. And you lose a lot of the one when you do the other, though. I feel like your comment mm-hmm. might. Right. I mean, if you're basically you're just ben- your benefiting with, from yeah. the shitty thing, yeah. Well, I mean, that's some of the banana stuff we were talking about earlier and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Although, like, I think the movie does try to have it both ways. And yeah, you're, yeah. you're right that it does cheapen the way that should be correct. <laughs> you know, like, it cheapens the one that is sure. trying to make a point. But Sure. And, it, it, I mean, I, I think that a lot of it is, falls so flat, too, and is so, like, boring and annoying. I mean, I think the character, the two characters of Lolita in the two movies, I feel like very different people. Mm-hmm. To me, and um, and also, I just uh, just yeah. just to break in with something totally unrelated, sure. just to see if I can do <laughs> derail everything. Her name's not Lolita, right? And we keep referring to her as that, and that's I mean that that's an interesting. Um, I think I've been I, calling her thing. Lo just because I had a friend named Lo, and I think it's cute. Right. <laughs> but is Dolores? It's, Dolores? Her name is Dolores, Dolores. and I think in yeah. one of the movies, other that is, I think in the Kubrick one, that is her. That's treated as her actual nickname. I think in the book, that's only something he thought of her as. And that's never... And that's kind of part of the unreliable narrator thing. And Mm -hmm. is any of how she is portrayed is... Who she is. Who she is. Or is he just projecting Lolita onto Dolores? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to to, 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 to to get... Sorry, just, I think no, let's in, keep both, in, her, in well, both movies, the, the mom refers to her as Low. That's my Low. Doesn't she? It, it does, at least in the 97, but... And then after she okay. gets married at the, in the epilogue, she's Dolly. Hmm. Anyway, please, yeah. please continue. I think that they're two very separate characters, and I think that the one in the second movie is so fucking annoying. And I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be watching this and finding her mannerisms like adorable and childlike and and cute and fun and sassy and sexy and whatever and then slowly over the course of two and a half hours come to find them annoying and grating but she was pretty much grated on me from moment one and i don't is that was that just me i i I think there was a very intentional a lot of scenes where she is a child, how could you want to have sex with her right. children or children and they're obnoxious and horrible? That's, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right. It was like, I don't know a lot of 14-year-olds, but I remember being one and being friends with them and they were horribly annoying. Right. And so like when she has temper tantrums, because she's right in that age, right, where she's between a kid and, and something else, right? She right. throws tantrum tantrums and like, yeah, I mean, she's... Uh-huh horribly annoying like i thought right but even when she's being like cute she's being annoying no that's yeah Yeah. exactly and and so i I guess that is something that maybe the new movie did well was to to kind of contrast porny's sexualization of youth with Mm -hmm. with actual with actual youth being really a horrible thing that you would never want to sexualize angst (laughs) and confusion Uh, and awfulness yeah which which i didn't i didn't necessarily think a lot about on the first watch through but i think that i I think you could see her obnoxiousness as a character as being a real 
intentional and well thought out thing. Well, it was exhausting. It was exhausting to watch two and a half hours of, yeah. a, of a real, like, annoying person be having their annoyingness turned up to 11. Like, I think that Aaron said it correctly, right? Or I think that that's an intentional choice or whatever to remind you about, like, what is a 14-year-old actually like or whatever. Right. But then also throughout the movie, like, then 1997, is what we're talking about, right? Their sexual encounters you keep seeing more of and they keep heightening and then like raising the level of nastiness and stuff mm-hmm. that you're going to see right and so I think that it's good that they keep her sti- sticking gum job having a jawbreaker spitting sh- you know what I mean mm-hmm. being a-, a child as these kind of I don't like to use the word racy because that makes it sound like it's exciting and okay do you right. know what I mean but like just more explicit sure. stuff ha- keeps mm-hmm. happening to her like you need but to know in, in that the movie she's, it is like, racy rather than is re- right. I, I, mean, I don't know that's, the that's the, of racy, but um, that's the trust they're making is to sure. have it feel a little exciting and okay, but also to yeah. Anyway, does that, am I making sense though? Like it's, it struck me as a good choice to keep her that way all the way. Yeah, I mean, I think they can't. You can't make that movie in any and have it be anything other than something totally different, where you both make the viewer want to have sex with a fourteen-year-old and also <laughs> not make them not want to. No, wait. wait. What's going on with my... <laughs> what's going on? I feel like we're grown-ups. Me too. We get to do whatever we want, right? Whatever we want. Well, now, who had the pie? Me. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> Are they me? <laughs> Don't look now. What? The guy over in the corner. Don't look. Don't look. He was staring at us. Don't you think that guy over there looks exactly like Quilty? What? The dentist? Of course not. His brother. The writer Quilty. You know, he writes the plays. Smoking guy, he smokes the drums in the air. I saw him in the lobby with his dog. I kind of was had the impression that the remake wasn't a period piece, and that that's a movie I'd actually really like to see. Hmm. Is a modernization, right? Sure. Because I mean, so much of the story, and I don't think it comes across a huge amount. I mean, definitely not at all in the remake, and some in the Kubrick is that a lot of the satire is about. American pop culture. In, of the era it's being made. Yeah, and just what American pop culture is and, you know, kind of Americana from an outsider's perspective. And that, that's a huge part of what the story is. Not just pop culture, but, like, Americans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Americans, but certainly, yeah, through what, I don't know. There's I, a big old versus new kind of. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really, really simplified, but it's like Humbert Humber coming from, mm-hmm. you know, the land of, yeah, to the land right. of mm-hmm. people pretending to speak French like Charlotte Hayes, right? Yeah, right. When she says Cherie in the book, it's supposed to be very funny. He, right. You know, it's, he, it's terrific. It's, it's kind of, but I also feel like that's a kind of, like, fun, intentional trap where, you know, everyone's supposed to love the story of the sophisticated guy having to deal with rubes. Right. Is a fun... St- and that's where you get a lot of the sympathy for Humbert, at least in the original. Mm-hmm. 
is just because that's a familiar story and that's a you know a comedy of manners. That's, right, right, um, right. We, everything we, that happens love, at the dance, everything that happens during the house tour. Um, yeah, yeah um, and that, that's an easy way to build sympathy. And I, I think you know it is effective to give you that sympathy for him, mm-hmm. or to to make you feel like he should be the hero and then make you feel uncomfortable. When, Right. Here's a question about that sort of old world versus new, which, you know, is a big theme running through the book or whatever and is less maybe so in the movie. I don't know. But so the Kubrick one starts out with the murder mm-hmm. and um, for reasons there's not blood or violence necessarily any strong mm-hmm. violence shown. Um, but it does end with him. His final shot into Quilty is Quilty hiding behind a picture of somebody who looks like Marie Antoinette, and he <laughs> shoots her directly through the forehead. And I was like, "Is that? Am I picking up on themes here? Like the old versus the new? Like I've come to the new huh. world, and I've had my downfall or whatever, and it's just like shooting that all that fucking shit through the head. I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't think I have a super coherent answer to that but i didn't have a super coherent question um, so but, but, but I, I do feel like quilty's character and particularly not necessarily his character but the character of him in the house mm-hmm. and that that whole set piece it is that kind of old world ar- archaic gothic setting mm-hmm. and you know I, th- I think that quilty is supposed to mirror humber in a lot of ways that right. that the, the, they are kind of the same person but sure. with quilty expresses everything that humber suppresses and that right. there's whatever and you know it's Kubrick so that's he does some other things but he has he does characters mirroring right right and I think so that's pretty I don't know if that was from the book or if that was from Kubrick or yeah that's a good question I mean how much does Quilty just represent the externalization of the things that Humbert doesn't want to see about himself Right. Sure. right okay so then he's just he's killing himself and in front of him is a picture of like you know aristocracy i mean that makes sense to me too right sure it doesn't have to be a death of the old world it could just be a death of myself and i am the old world so i grappled with that because it you know it's, it must be intentional like to choose what painting to put in that right? right but i i didn't i didn't get that far i just saw him trying to kill a man trying to kill a man trying to kill a man and then executing a woman that would just well, hey, I have no idea yeah. if that was intentional or well no I mean I think that's a really good take on that it, right? much because <laughs> yeah nothing about what, what was between those two characters was between the two of them it was right. all about her mm-hmm. right like there was you know they were not acting out any feelings towards each other they were acting out their feelings towards her yeah and with each other as proxy and yeah that seems like that Right. There's no way that's not an intentional right. thing of him hiding behind the woman. I and, think that. and I also wondered, like, how how much of the gravitas of him committing a murder, something that's going to end his life as he knows it, like how 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 much of what what I think was meant to be an incredibly pivotal and just completely like he's hit bottom, everything has gone completely wrong, and he's committing this murder was lost on me, and that it just was like. Like, I felt that the scene was a little defanged to me. Wait, because you were seeing it before you knew who Humbert was? Because was... The, the fact that a man kills another man in a movie doesn't feel deplorable at all. And I think it needed to feel a little bit desperate and deplorable for that scene to work for me. And I Well, well for me, I mean, that scene, and this is something that you might have had to see in the movie before, but that scene was entirely farce. Right. And... You know, how those scenes across the different movies play out is in both those movies, those scenes are presented as farce. I was going to say, in both this time, um, they are, but, right? 
the Kubrick version, the whole thing is farce. In huh. the other version, all of a sudden, the ending scene is farce, while well, nothing right. has been before. Yes. And it's, I don't know, there's... The, uh, Everything up to that point is very self-serious. Yeah, it's it's all treated as a well, very straight though, drama. But, yeah. Okay. Um, but... There's some farcical elements that really play shitty, and okay. you know, but they are few and far between. Sure. You know, and, and the fact that it's not linear makes it read real different. Like the scene reads reads very differently once you get the story and you reflect back on it. But sure. he's not supposed to. He doesn't get shit out of this. Right. He goes and sees her, and the big pivotal moment is not supposed to mean anything. Nothing after he sees her is supposed to mean anything. He right. he is not supposed to get any redemption out of this. Or he is, in his own eyes, supposed to be redeemed. You know, that's... Right. He's going there to be redeemed for what he did because he and Quilty killing are... killing externalization of this right. disgusting thing. And then he does it and then it's literally that five <laughs> kid fucking epilogue which, I mean, I feel like is one of the great fucking cinematic jokes is, you know, he... Huh. Then he went to jail and he died. <laughs> like seriously, just five seconds. Right. Um, right, it's pretty jarring. Yeah, I mean, and I, it's yeah. and it's literally like I don't know. I feel like it's like an Adult Swim joke or something that you do right. just as a. I don't. I I would be real curious to know how that played at the time. Huh. But that it's just that his whole revenge and his whole redemption. And I think it's it was only in the new movie where he said like he said something like. You're not giving me my redemption. Yeah, he literally. <laughs> like, yeah, he did. Like he goes in and is, like, you know yeah. everything in in the scene in the new one was like where the player piano is playing itself and it was which is I feel like a joke and callback on the original where it was mm-hmm. him playing the piano saying. and then it's like and and in that character of Quilty that's kind of the only time they're really super like explicitly calling back I feel like the first time he talks he's almost just doing Peter Sellers as a character. Right. <laughs> He's really showing up to be this avenging angel and get his redemption and do the whole thing. And he just keeps being stymied at every turn. He keeps starting to try and do something and gets undermined. And he tries to make him see the, you know, the gravity of the situation and it gets taken away from him. He tries to make him read the note and he reads it in this stupid voice. <laughs> and I keep thinking, like, he's going to just put the gun to his head and just make him read it. And then the audience is going to get to hear it. Like in a serious, quivering voice, but then we even the audience never gets this redemption at all. The whole thing is just turned into like you're just being an idiot. Right yeah, now. it's it's that that whole scene is pure, just n- no catharsis, no right. Yeah, it's treated as a Three Stooges sketch. It's uh, right. you know, it's just pure um, comedy. You know, and I kind of feel like in the remake, maybe they were just you know, you just have to kind of one up the best scene in the previous movie. Hmm. Yeah, they they put a lot into that sequence for sure. Yeah, a lot of blood and dicks, and in a movie where you maybe weren't expecting a bunch of blood and dicks. Yeah, I guess I wasn't expecting as much blood and dicks. <laughs> you cheated me of my redemption. You have to die. I don't know what you're talking about. My memory and my eloquence are not at their best today, but really, you have to admit you were never an ideal stepfather. Huh? I did not force your little protege to join me. It was she who made me remove her to a happier home. Look around, you see? You see this house? It's very cool in the summer. It's comfortable. I suggest that you move in. Hmm? I think you'll be happy here. 
Uh, earlier you had said that you felt that there were some other moments of farce throughout the movie, and I would be curious to know what yeah. those were for you. Um, so one of the one that comes immediately to mind is not too far away from him finding Quilty, but it's him searching down Quilty. And so he's going through, he's going back to hotels where they've stayed, and he's finding names or whatever, but there's just like, uh, is farce the right way? Or more just like slapsticky things where he's like pushing people out of the way to be like, no, excuse me, I need to look at this. Or, you know, just like, and it's like maybe six cutscenes of him going to hotels and just being like, oh, like kind of outrageously insane and like pushing nice women out of the way or whatever. There's um, that one. Um, there's other. Oh, let me think of. I sure. yeah. I had, there are other ones where it's just like the 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 way that they play comedy in that movie is super over the top. Like it's not. I understand that it's supposed, or like the biscuit eating that I brought up earlier, mm-hmm. right? When he's talking about right with the headmasters and the, and right. the, pre- the headmaster they and the keeps priest, saying things that make it sound like they're accusing him of right. being and he a pedophile. Yeah. And he's like, it's all just a cl- comedy of errors again, yeah. right? Yeah, and he's like, it's um, all about him eating a biscuit and not being able to chew right. it or whatever. And it's super over the top. Um, I laughed at the signing into the hotels thing, and I laughed again. But I felt more like I was laughing at the movie than with it at the end of that sequence where the voiceover narration is saying, you know, I was looking everywhere. I was uncovered, turning over every stone. I like found his signature. You know, I learned to recognize his signature and I was going through pouring through all these hotel registries and stuff. And I looked everywhere and stuff. And then it cuts to a shot of him like driving and coming to a stop in the middle of like a gigantic desert with nothing for 100 miles in any direction. And then he's like, and you base it, I forget exactly what his words were, but he's like, and then I just like looked everywhere and I gave up or whatever. And I'm like, you didn't think she was, <laughs> I mean, you just drove into the middle of a big sand, you know, Jesse, that desert. Is, that, Jesse, that's representing I know giving was, up because it's a desert. It's desolate <laughs> and, you can't, and the camera's pulled way out and he just stops and he gets out and he looks around and then he gets back in and, and I'm like, if this movie isn't, I mean, it didn't seem like it yeah, was see, trying to be funny. It sorry. just seemed like it was. Someone's raising their hand again. <laughs> I'm raising my hand because there was a scene where he slaps her for the second time in the car, and she jumps out. And I think it's a really affecting scene because any time in either movie that the lead actresses cry, I think they both do it really effectively, and it just is a gut punch for me. Hmm. They're sitting in the car, and um, they've pulled over into that same desert landscape and he slaps her and she jumps out and she just runs just trying to run and run and run and he's like I'm sorry you know and then he does the really great abuser thing where he's like I didn't mean it you know rub 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 you're fine type of thing but he chases her down or whatever so like that to me was a callback where it's like I'm driven out here and I'm not saying it's great <laughs> like this is where she ran yeah. away from me for the first time right like but, this is where that thing happened yeah. but yeah I see what you're saying too but, but it, it's a reason that only only works metaphorically and doesn't work right. literally yeah. is which I there is maybe a lot of in right in a cartoon that's how you show someone's looked everywhere but they just drive out into <laughs> the middle desert. of a desert and they look around and like well I give up and and it just didn't it didn't work Charlotte I've made us a nice stiff drink yes but that's ridiculous there's a man on the phone saying you've been killed, Charlotte. Charlotte? Any more moments of farce in the remake? I'm having trouble with 
thinking I, of that. I feel I, and the ones I that you like do I mention should have made a list of those because hmm. it was and it, a lot of them weren't like super long scenes or whatever. But oh, like uh, another one would be on their second road trip. And you don't know it at the time, but, like, he's buying sunglasses and he looks out and a man is talking to Lolita. <laughs> and he's buying sunglasses and they have the tag hanging in front of his nose, right? And he's, like, looking <laughs> at her, looking back and looking, so it makes the tag fly all in front <laughs> of his face. And he just runs outside and he's talking to her, like, in a super serious manner. But he's got, like, a tag flipping from the sunglasses, like a price tag. I don't know. Just little stuff like that. Where it's, like, they 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 tried to put the, the comedy of the original sure. source material in there, but it always kind of fell for me yeah. you know, like sillily sillily yeah, yeah. and that for was just, not, like that's just making him seem ri- ridiculous and helpless which hmm. I I felt like was not ever a good way to go with that character right, like you were saying in the beginning when we started right which is like he seemed like somebody who like yeah like the fates yeah. are just pulling him and he couldn't possibly have anything to say about this situation right it's just gonna happen to him and he was like him. an actual Abuser. He was someone who planned his shit out right. and did his horrible abuse of shit and knew how it was going to work and was most often right, right in terms of how it was going to work and was not, you know, when his shit right. went out of control, it wasn't like he stopped actually controlling her and pulling his shit. It was like he, right. it just got Double much, down. much worse. Yeah. Right. Like how right. <laughs> it wasn't like he turned into a weird flailing cartoon man and, mm. um, right. She got the best of him and her with her wily ways. Right. Un- I think there's a there's a few. I, I liked a lot of those touches too. I liked the dog jumping in the, the, every car that drives down the street in the beginning. I liked the old neighbor who waves to every car, even mm-hmm. if it's like an ambulance showing up, yeah. and things like that. There were a lot of little touches like that that worked, but it they don't add up to an undercurrent in the way that. Kubrick's actually making of the story at farce adds up right. to a thing. They're they they're more yeah. touch, like little touches. Maybe the Cohen brothers had been around for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. No, I'm not. I don't say the ones no, I cited. Yeah. I'm saying I don't like totally at all. Totally. Yeah. It's, and do you feel like those are mostly in, intentionally trying to be funny or? I that was my impression. Um, and like trying too hard to be funny, and that's why it all felt. Uh, yeah, there there were some pretty jarring, t- just tonal shifts, just like, which which may or may not have been intentional, but it almost felt like just different directors on different scenes hmm. and different. Uh, or maybe it felt like a director who knew how to make that scene with them fighting over coins on a bed where they're both naked in the blue light, which is like super affecting to me. Yeah, that's um, a hard. Who knows how to do that to versus doesn't but like, but like doesn't know how to do, how do I also bring the source material of this person who's supposed to be funny, like, or mm. any of the funniness into this, you know, like he, mm. yeah, like it became farcical or over the top when he was trying to be funny. But then that stuff was, I don't know. Apparently, I've just learned fatal attraction <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that sort of, like, dark mm. sexuality was very, very upsetting. More so than the scene where he, that I've already brought up after the bag just of dicks, like, li- literally hurts her and puts yeah. her on the bed. And, like, you know, the yeah. blue-lit money-grabbing scene was really, yeah. really upsetting to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really upsetting and real, also really un- unsubtle metaphors. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to ask you guys if you wanted to talk about, and maybe this is where you're going with this, but this is, like, my notes about nymphettes 
And one of the things I've written down here, this kind of idea that Lolita is, well, precocious is used a lot in <laughs> writing about this, right? Or this idea that we have about a Lolita is that, it's, that they are, yes, they're young, but they know what they're doing, uh -huh. right? And yeah. what they're doing is to get things, like mm -hmm. money. Is that what you're like? Yeah, that yeah, that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was the scene where, I mean, it was almost like a, a montage of, She's going to trade her sex for favors and uh, grab well, money I think that, I mean, so she's a 14-year-old girl who is trying to get away. I think she, I mean, well, I mean, she is shading, like, you know, she is doing anything she can to gain some power and, like, mm -hmm. perhaps some independence. So she is trying to get money but from him, right? And, like, and he says in that scene, he was like, it's not fair to charge me more in the middle. And he says in that scene, as if it's a super bad thing. I'm afraid that she's just trying to get money from me in order to escape. <laughs> but that's a, I think that's not in the blue lit money grabbing scene. But yeah, I think it's yeah. It, totally, it's, it's he's like, yeah that I don't know where she's hiding it, but she's trying to get money so she can escape. And, right. And I do feel like that was in original source material very much in the unreliable narrator. Obviously, she is in a horrible hell. Right. Um, she is trying to get anything she can yeah. to get out of it. Right. And he is interpreting it as a slight against himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know how much that came across, or how well it came across in either of the movies, but I, I think that it probably was the intention in both of the movies. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, think that it was the intention in both of the movies because I have to go on living in this world. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I think I've been struggling to like pick a word. This story... And both of these movies are dangerous, but I don't really mean that. Like, uh, and I don't. But problematic isn't quite right either. It's if you look at it on a surface level, right? If right. you take any one of these three pieces of art material on a surface level, I hate it. And please go back and watch it again and think more, right? right. You know. So a scene like that with the money grabbing, right? I mean, wouldn't that just be like an MRA's fantasy? This is what women are like. This is what they do. They use and they and taking her age, taking any of her agency out of it, right? They use sex just to get what they want or whatever. It's it's it can be very huh. difficult if you don't if you're not able or if you choose not to think about what is actually being uh, portrayed. Does that make sense? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Because because I kind of felt like whatever the scene before that. I mean, I, I don't even quite remember it, what it was, but it was just... She was trying to get him to get, get, raise her allowance. Raise her allowance, that's what it was. And it, it was. and it was literally that. It was, you know, saying like, yeah, what... Rub my what hand end? so far, rub my hand so far up my leg, up your leg um, till you agree. That one, that was, scene? What, it, yeah, it was a MRA's yep. idea of what female sexuality is, is like we're right. training it for money. And I thought that the actual, that actual disturbing scene afterwards was... Intended as entirely a refutation of that. I thought that was, you know, this is what ladies do. We're showing you, and then the next scene is like, and it's horrible and desperate and no fucking good at everyone. Scared of it's, you know, obviously. Um, but that that did feel like that actual actual scene on the bed was a refutation of that idea. But yeah, you could. I mean, certainly there are people who watch it. And is like, yeah, it's just literal money grabbing sex 
Right. Well, and okay, so with this idea, like, this is the thing that I wanted to talk about now, apparently, but, like, the idea of an infant and the idea of a Lolita, right? That we even, like, it's based on this novel. The novel got very popular. That's why they are called, mm-hmm. like, that the, there is a yeah. term Lolita or whatever. But and like, I think Nymphette was also coined in the In the book? Okay. But, you know, an idea that there is some, un- like... <laughs> There is some strata of underage girls who know, I like, I get so upset even thinking about like, people believing this, like, I can't speak about it clearly, but that, I mean, precocious doesn't do enough, you know what I mean? And that's something that's often applied to kind of Lolita's character, even from reputable sources, and they're not putting it in scare quotes or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're, li- like, they're literally calling her precocious. Um, you know, this book doesn't have a lot to do with how she's doing at school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what? so what is that about? Like, that idea that there are underage girls who know all of this stuff about sex, know that seduce... I mean, that was something I wrote down. was like, um, the New York Times original article, they wrote a thing that said... That scene, um, no, it was about Kubrick, sorry, it was a, a review of Kub- Kubrick's movie, and it was like, well, you know, the code administration uh, objected to the lengthy scene where the precocious Dolores seduce, seduces Humbert, right? Mm-hmm. As though a 14-year-old <laughs> could seduce a grown man. Like, the, just the language around it is very, very yeah, exciting. and if she hadn't just been kidnapped and had pretty literally within the text said that she was terrified of what he would do to her if she didn't please him (laughs) and then yeah to call that seduction yeah that's the language around this stuff that like and it comes from pretty reputable sources and it's it's um i think it's why we have the term lolita like it's not why but i think if people are actually employing that term like that's very very problematic and upsetting but Um, i mean just to go back to the idea that we've brought up several times or whatever like that that is a topical read and that's where you buy into humbert's narrative right right. is that he was seduced and that she was a nymph and you know what i mean like so that's your topical read of it and that's the part where i'm like that's dangerous right because i know that a lot of people do that (laughs) or whatever I mean, one of the things about Humbert is that he's constantly referencing, like, Romeo and Juliet, right? And, mm-hmm. like, Dante shit. Right, the Poe, like, Grand Poe. Right, and so he's like, well, it's just like that, right? It probably and was compl- a lot like Grand Poe. Like, completely refu- like, refusing to recognize that the char- like the, the male lovers in those stories are also children, right? Mm, so he's, right. he's envisioning himself as some sort of great... Right. literary tragic love totally. or whatever right so th- this is a big thing and i think that one of the differences between showing a sequence in which he is a young man and he has his young lover taken away from him and that's a wound that never heals and that he's seeking to fill for the rest of his life and showing him as a character that doesn't have that um is Allowing the audience to see his point of view as one where he sees himself emotionally at the level of the girl he's right. enamored with. 
Um, I think in both he carries pretenses of being an older, mature, responsible, well-spoken man, but yeah. in one and, and he's secretly fact, the most right, the most. But I think in one version of the of the two stories we see in the, between the two movies, in one version he secretly is just an emotional emotionally has been a child, and at least in terms of how he understands mm-hmm. and, and interacts with relationships. And in one, I don't think that ever. I don't think in Kubrick's that ever enters mm-hmm. into oh, it. I think so. But I think that they, the the two movies pre- present two different takes on that idea, and I think mm-hmm. that the text probably agrees more with the second movie. In terms that of no, it, I, I think the text is strongly presents both as possibilities. Okay, I mean the orig- the book is not it doesn't tell you what he is. It right. lets him tell his story and lets you guess mm-hmm. at what is okay. true or not. And he presents himself that way. Right, his actions present him in a very different way. You know, Kubrick's film is giving you his actions. Uh, the new film is giving you a little backstory and a little more of him to talk about and uh... to that point exactly one of the things that um hit me when we watched this the other night and i actually wrote it down is he takes dolores lolita to dinner at that first hotel that they stay at and then they're just kind of talking and playing around and like having a nice time and she looks at him and she's like i feel like an adult like i feel like we're adults right now Mm -hmm. and he looks at her like in this like in this amazing jeremy irons actory way (laughs) you know where it's like he has all this emotion behind his eyes and he's like me too and that was one of the moments that made me feel really uneasy because i was like i totally identify with him Mm -hmm. right now i'm just like you're trying to like and i think that's specific to that movie Mm -hmm. because that was the type of humbert they were trying to make in that movie What I heard then was the melody of children at play, nothing but that. And I knew that the hopelessly poignant thing was not the leader's absence from my side, but the absence of her voice from that chorus. Could you make the movie Lolita from the perspective of Dolores, or from the perspective of Lolita, without making it an entirely different story. That's a good question. That's a good question. I think in order to answer that, you need to know whether the Lolita we meet and get to know is entirely our protagonist's projection of what he thinks she is, or how much we actually get to see of that real character. Because if if there is no actual Dolores in the movie, and it's all just his Lolita you know, projection, then there's no one, there's no real person there from whom, from whose perspective you could make a movie. I mean, sure, if this were a real thing to happen, of course there's a real human being, but I don't know, the question is whether there's a real person in the movie in that role. Right. Mm -hmm. Can can you make Fight Club from Tyler Durden's perspective? Right. (laughs) Like I said, I came into this movie underestimating how much of that was going on, how much of the what we started out kind of talking about as an unreliable narrator issue and kind of came to talk more about is just like how he's projecting his ideas about her intentions and desires and stuff onto her and just kind of seeing his reflection of that. But of course there you see some of her coming through that. I mean, you see her say things that he doesn't want to hear and upset him and I think you get some glimpses of a 
trapped, upset, desperate mm-hmm. young girl. So if you do have Dolores' story, is it just like a straight-up horror movie? Is it like being picked up from summer camp, your mother's dead, you're kidnapped? I think that a lot of it would be a horror movie, but I don't think that all of it would be. Because, as we know, she goes down to Quilty's or whatever, and then gets to have a voice. Because he wants her to star in, if you go by the Kubrick movie, an art film. And if you go by the 97 movie... You know, four guys and running trains and all that nasty shit or whatever. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. I came here to be with you. And so he kicks her out. So she goes and makes her own life or whatever. Is she poor? Absolutely. But did she meet somebody that she loves? Absolutely. Is she making her own story? Absolutely. Did she regain her agency? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, to go with it's a horror movie theme, you get a horror movie heroine has a ton of agency, but but it's maybe the thing of getting away from the one horrible thing and just falling into another worse, more horrible thing. Oh, you meant like an like horror is not my genre, so I didn't. I thought you um, just meant like horror as in like it's horrible. Like, yeah. I know, like everything's yeah. horrible. Yeah, I was gonna say just like literally the tropes of a horror film is is that what the movie from her perspective would be is just like. Well, tell, do you, so? Do you think her life as it ends up with as Mrs. Schiller is a horrible thing? No, I think that's her escape in the end. That's her writer Dana Wong, which is right. what. Often, how the horror movie ends up is uh, with the the big bad defeated and the heroine has escaped is definitely not without outside of the bounds of uh, right. I think that what was going through my mind for a lot of this time was uh, if you were to have Dolores tell the story of what happened, would she say that she was initiating a romantic relationship with him, or would she say that? from her perspective would she have been would she feel like she had been taken advantage of from the beginning or would she feel like she was getting into something that she thought was mutual and came to realize was manipulative and wicked my imagination of Dolores telling this story would be that a handsome foreigner moved into her house and it was fun to flirt with him in the movies she's 14 years old she's having burgeoning puberty and, like, awakening to all of these feelings for boys, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that she would say, like, I flirted with him, right? And then, oh, my dear God, I had no idea that any of the, you know, that any of this shit would have happened. You know, it's like a young girl playing with her sexuality, you know? Right. Or a young boy or anybody. Like, yeah, Yeah. just playing with your sexuality and learning what that means and everything. And... Not knowing, you know, even if you could just, like, logically know, like, well, yes, 50-year-old men don't generally, you know, whatever, but just, you know, just kind of poking poking the bear a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think we've all had that experience. Like, even if poking the bear is somebody your age, it's like, but then that bear knows a little bit more than you, and you're like, oh, back off, you know what I mean? Like, that that's an experience I can completely relate to. But, yeah, I mean, I think her story would then turn into... Uh, a nightmare of, uh, you know, this is not at all what I was <laughs> right. trying that, or wanting to do, right? Like, you, you can have agency and then lose agency. You mm-hmm. can have agency and still not necessarily have control. Or you can have agency without understanding. Understanding, you can, exactly. You can, you can be the one moving things forward without understanding how you're doing it. Humbert is, you know, I think by any of the people... T- 
telling these stories understand that he is the monster in the story and that he, you know, I mean, Nabokov is definitely on record as repeatedly saying this guy is a monster. That's, there's no other way to see this story. Right. Or there's other ways to see this story, but if you do, you're kind of an asshole. Or right, whatever. right. Then you're a monster. Um, oh my god! Can I just interject? And I'm gonna. Like, this is a complete horrible paraphrase, but there, it's actually from the book, and it says it's a little paragraph of text where it's, um, "If I didn't destroy her childhood, if people wouldn't blame me for that, then." And then in parentheses, he's like, "Which, if that doesn't happen, life is a joke." <laughs> Right, and this mm. is Humbert talking, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "If so, if that doesn't happen, life is a, is a horrible joke." And then he goes on, right? So I mean, that's that's Nabokov, mm-hmm. and that's Humbert. Like, I mean, yeah, he totally. Anyway, sorry, I just wanted to interject. So that quote came up. Yeah. Right mm. So in that sense, maybe it's not important. I mean, like, in the reason I ask, I mean, one of the reasons I ask is because. He makes such a big point, at least, especially in the later movie, of saying like. And that, you know, woman of the jury, it, I wasn't like even her first. Gentle women of the jury, I wasn't right? even her like, first. Like, she right. was, she slept with another guy. She, you know, I had thoughts about her, but she was the one who initiated the first physically sexual encounter. And, mm-hmm. you know, these things. I mean, my qu- my question might be, like, would she say relay those events in the same way? But maybe a better question is, does it make any difference at all whether she would relay those events in the same way or not? Right. Which I feel like that's maybe an almost untellable story because her decision-making process in all of this feels like it has to be at least a little bit unconscious or, you know, instinctual or... Yeah. Did we decide on 14 or 15? But at that age, you're not... 14. You don't have a great internal story that you know a great and consistent internal story i I feel like i mean maybe if you want to do ulysses again or whatever you can tell her story so what if it was just like i mean i don't know pick one of the movies and say it was just told from her perspective and like nothing was changed like the whole thing would still be fucked Sure. Yeah, I mean, okay. that, that is... I mean, <laughs> you, you, you change the backing music and it is a horror movie. It, I mean, it's, she's literally being picked up from summer camp right. and kidnapped. Right. Right. And that's and where the story the starts. Right. Like, the, yeah. the story before that is the, you know, it's the setup, it's the getting you comfortable, and then, yeah, he, he kidnaps her and he is kind of a monster, and she deals right. with that in every way she can, and she escapes... Into something as worse. As soon as she can, but yeah. I mean, maybe not something worse. I mean, she definitely, when she, I think in both movies, when she says, I don't know which was worse. I might rather be back with him than be back with you. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Hum asks her to go, it's just 25 paces or whatever. And she's like, so if you're saying I go to a hotel with you, you give us money. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, I'm just saying go with us. And she was like, oh, no. You know, I'd, I I would almost rather. <laughs> it's like obviously I'm not gonna go. You know, I think she says I would but, almost rather go yeah, back with. Yeah, Lizzie. yeah. I feel like it's that that yeah. was maybe in both stories presented. I was gonna say that she escaped into both. something worse, which is a huge horror movie trope. Is you know, out of the frying pan into the fire yeah. as your end of your second act. Um, sure. And so certainly, I think the story told from her sp- perspective would probably be the whole second act would probably be with Quilty and Humbert would not necessarily really feature as the hmm. main part like that's, that's point, yeah. yeah which I think is is a big 
thing for him and a big thing for his character is that it turns out he wasn't... That he doesn't feature. <laughs> he, he wasn't the big romance or the big horror of right. her life. He right. was, um, he just, was somebody. just... Right? And in both movies, doesn't he ask, what about me? Right? And mm-hmm. she just doesn't say anything. Anyway, I have a last thing to say. Okay. I wanted to say that she was Dolores in the morning. She was Dolores in slacks. When she was at school, she was Dolores. And when she was in my arms, I was a piece of shit. Dolores against the tip of my teeth. Always Dolores. Peace out. Peace out. On our next episode in our season two, the season where we kind of screw around with the format of the show, uh, we're again going to be talking about two movies in one episode. This time we're going to be talking about Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Uh, Aaron, you're the one who I think first made me watch these movies. Does that ring a bell to you? I, I, I imagine I, I, there was definitely a period of my life where I made everyone I knew watch Evil Dead 2. Um, you know, it could certainly be followed up with Evil Dead 1, but Evil Dead 2 was, you know, the movie for me when I was, say, you know, 13 through 16. Totally. And I think, yeah, it really, it really kind of carved out that genre of the, the fun horror splat stick and, uh, something that's kind of finds its way into a lot of horror ever since. These are going to be a, a fun couple of movies to talk about. Very, very strange trilogy where the first two movies are kind of telling the same story in two different ways. But it, it definitely is a movie that you find when you're 16 years old and you just want to show everybody you know because it's it's so mm-hmm. off the wall and fun and insane and unbridled. Yeah, um, it's going to be real fun to revisit, especially with the you know the TV series right around the corner. It seems like I I've, I just heard that that was a thing. I've not. I looked into it. This was a long episode, so I'm going to wrap this up now. But um, look forward to coming back and joining us to talk about both Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 in the next episode in two weeks. Yes. Thanks. Bye.